Blog Talk Radio. Tonight, and we have a wonderful guest. Her name is Miss Dash. Um, I hope you guys heard me as I was uh, speaking and uh, introducing myself. Well, let me go ahead and start with the mission statement now. Um, again, we are on scan number 3111, just in case you guys didn't hear me. And we are on Stop Child Abuse Now. The number to call is 646-595-2118. Again, that number is 646-595-2118. And we will begin with our mission statement. We have a single purpose at NASCA to address issues related to childhood abuse and trauma, including sexual assault, violent or physical abuse, emotional trauma, and neglect. And we do so with only two poles. One, educating the public, especially as related to helping society get over its taboo of discussing childhood sexual abuse, presenting facts, showing child abuse pandemic worldwide problem that affects everyone, and two, offering hope and healing through numerous paths, providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse and information for anyone interested in the many issues involved in prevention, intervention, and recovery. Again, thank you for joining us this evening. I'm your host, Dr. Nancy Z. Brown-Willis, and I'm with my wonderful co-host, Ms. Kim Lakin. And uh, we are on scan number 3111. In case you guys didn't hear me say this earlier, I'm going to say it again. That is one wonderful number, 3111. And the phone number to call tonight is 646 595 I'm going to read the bio for our wonderful guest tonight, Ms. Beth Donahue. Uh, she's from Port Ritchie, Florida, a returning NASA family member who's both a survivor and an activist. She'll be catching us up with, any, with many number of things that she's been doing over the last year or so. I have been targeted by my family and have lost friends while I love, she explains mainly because I wouldn't waver on my belief that children should be put first 
and no one has the right to ever abuse them in any way, shape, or form. Beth has told us she has taken a copy of a bill from Protect Mass Children to Washington, D.C., to pass stronger laws to protect children from sexual predators and to educate the community on how to defend themselves from sexual predators, to end childhood sexual abuse, and to be a voice for victims. Many involved are survivors or victims of abuse and know firsthand the devastating effects sexual abuse has on victims and their families. Beth herself is a survivor who was sexually abused by three men as a child, but she's been an advocate for children most of her adult life. I was involved with helping start the organization, The Innocent Revolution, Beth reminds us, letting us know she's going to be starting it back up, but she's even doing more. I'm going to try and get the NFL to do a day for us, she says. I have been targeted by my family and have lost friends and people I love, she explains, mainly because I wouldn't waver on my belief that children should be the first and no one has the right to ever abuse them in any way, shape, or form. We're delighted to have her back on the show. Ms. Beth Donahue, welcome. Thank you, thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. It's such an honor and pleasure to have you on tonight. Thank you so much for being our special guest. And we really look forward to hearing more about your story. You're welcome. And and welcome, everybody. Um, And, yeah, advocacy is so important um, for everybody to do. And it's because of our voices that laws get changed and kids get protected and they don't uh, get molested or abused in any way. Um, Some still do, but the intent is so that no child will ever be abused. Right. Well, again, we just want to thank you so much for joining us tonight. I just want to remind everyone that we are on scan number 3111, and the phone number to call is 646-595-2118. We already have a panel, Ms. Bass, so we're really looking forward to hearing from you. Um, Can you give us a little bit of of background as to how you even uh, became so passionate about this topic? What made you be connected to child abuse? Uh, I was molested as a child by three men. Mm-hmm. Um, one, two of the incidents were uh, one-time incidents, and then the other incidents were went on for a long time by my father. And mm-hmm. I, I knew when I was in my teenage years that eventually I would do some type of ag- advocacy so that it never happened, you know, to try and stomp it out and so that it would never happen to a child again. Uh, it's been a long road, mm-hmm. and I am almost 60. So mm-hmm. I have been doing this for probably... I guess in probably about 25 years, 30 years, um, I've been an advocate. And it started out as a young child, and at that point in time, I couldn't do anything about it um, because of the situation that I was in. Um, And like most, you know, victims of molestation, you have to 
kind of sit in a situation and, you know, there's the line of the love-hate and, you know, you, you don't know which way to go. Um, you know, because when it's your parent, you're supposed to love your parents. And, of course, I'm a Catholic. And with the Catholic religion, you love your parents no matter what. And, and you know, 50 years ago, um, it was even more mm-hmm. so than today. You know, your parents were everything or supposed to be everything to you. And, you know, going to church... You know, I would go with um, my grandmother to church. Um, My father wouldn't go to church, but he made sure that all of us kids went. Um, You know, so you're taught to love thy parent and, you know, to not speak of anything that's going on, you know, in the home. Um, So that was the way I was taught, and that's the way I was brought up. And it's very conflicting um, because... You know, with everything that's happening, you get to a certain age as a kid and you know, you know, what's going on isn't right. You know, it isn't correct. Your parents shouldn't be doing that to you. And then you have Mm -hmm. the Catholic Church or any church at that point in time Mm -hmm. that was telling you, you know, you love your parent no matter what. And then you have the priesthood Mm -hmm. abuse going on, you know, with kids. And uh, very confusing times back then. Um, You know, being today, yeah, today it's not so much like that. Um, I mean, there's kids that are still being abused, but there's a lot of advocates out there, too, that try and help kids. And the church has changed their view um, on the way that, you know, they they treat children. And it's being more and more Mm -hmm. exposed, Um, So, which is a good thing. Yes, and I do want to say, you know, we do have a good amount of time left, so I don't want to rush through this. I kind of want to get a little bit more of a background to when you were growing up. So who did you live with? Did you have siblings? Uh, Yeah, I have three siblings, and I lived with my mother and father. And what was my mother was a stay-at-home mom for a while, and then she started working. Um, my dad worked two jobs. Um, he was very strict. And what he would do um, is once we got old enough to know that it wasn't okay. Actually, let me back up. Um, I My abuse started probably around the age of three or four. Um, I My first remembrance of it was around the age of seven. Um, and I, my dad would come into my room in the middle of the night and, you know, he would, you know, he would sit there and tell me, you know, it's okay, you know, and at first it was your mother knows and, and then as I became older, you know, she doesn't know and, you know, she'll throw me out of the house and he would bring a bag in with his belongings, you know, to make it look like she was going to throw him out of the house. Um, and he would he would come into my room and he would, you know, say, you know, things to me that would try and make me feel comfortable and make me put the guilt on me, um, you know, that if I said anything, you know, something was going to happen. Um, and he also, he abused all four of us. 
Um, and at that point in time, I didn't know that that was going on. I thought it was just me. Um, and I had on my youngest brother was seven years younger than me, and I thought he would he was spared um, from it until I learned later on in life um, that he hadn't been. Um, so, but back to you know when it was happening. Um, he would he would use that as a tool um, when we got a little bit older as a grounding mechanism. Um, he would ground us, and what he would do is use that um, as a tool that we couldn't go out um, unless we did sexual favors for him, uh, and that would get us out the door. Uh, and then... With report cards, I, I didn't do good in school. Um, I was a terrible student, and it was because of what was going on at home. And I would get bad grades in school, so another mechanism of his was to ground me because of my grades. And then I would mm-hmm. have to uh, do sexual favors for him to be able to um, get ungrounded and mm-hmm. be able to go out again. And then we also, uh, me and uh, my brother that, uh, one of my brothers, um, would have to watch my little brother um, when my parents were gone. That was when I was a little bit older. And he would use that to keep me in the house also. Um, my friends weren't mm-hmm. allowed to come into my house. Um, so anytime I went out, I would have to go to their house. Um and there was there was some good things, you know, that went on my grandmother. Um, you know, I got to see her, and I loved my grandmother to death. I mean, she just was a wonderful mm-hmm. person. Um, but back then, you didn't talk about those types of things, so I didn't say anything, you know, to her about it. Um, and she eventually moved beside us, and when I would come home from school, um, this was when I was a little bit older. I would go back by her house, you know, so that was a great um, thing, you know, that I could do every day and, you know, say hello to her. I had that kindness from her before I went home and I would, when I went, I would go into the house, I would sit on the stairs um, and then my father would stomp his feet on the floor and because he knew that we were home and I would have to go upstairs and, you know, he would coax me, you know, into uh, doing things with him. Mm-hmm. I got to the point where at one point um, I just, I had had enough and I started barricading my bedroom door so that I knew when he was coming in in the middle of the night because I had my hamper and I would put things on top of it so that when he came in, I at least heard the movement to know that he was coming in my door. Um, And it was just, there was a lot of chaos in my house because of the um, sexual abuse. He he caused a lot of havoc in everybody's heads um, so that there was always some type of turmoil that was going on. And because of being abused, I had my own turmoil, you know, with school, you know, my grades being terrible. And it's a, it was a typical dynamic of a family. You know, we had scapegoat, and, and I went to a lot of counseling 
um, in my 30s and 40s, which helped me tremendously, um, you know, get through, you know, what had happened. And when you're in that situation as a kid, you don't have a voice. You know, you just kind of go day to day on what's going on. Um, and and that's it. It's just you like you're walking through each day just to make it to the next day. Um, and to this day, I still think that my mother knew about it. Um, it had come up um, when Father Porter um, got caught up in Massachusetts. He, that was on, I forget which TV program it was on, but it was on one of them. And they did a whole um, show on him. And at that point in time, my parents were divorced. And um, my mother saw my reaction to it. And she had asked me, you know, if anybody had hurt me. Um, And at first I said no. And she kept, you know, coaxing me and coaxing me. So finally I broke down and I told her. Um, And I had told her years prior to that. Um, I had... I had at one point, um, it was just really tumultuous in our family, and I had said to her, you know, that the family, you know, really needs to go to counseling, and she said, no, the family doesn't, that it's, you know, me, uh, that's the issue. So at that point in time, I just kind of clammed right up, you know, and I didn't say mm-hmm. it again. Um and and it just, it was as a kid, you know, it's, I would go to school each day and I loved school, you know, as a real little kid um, because it got me out of the house. Um, but as soon as I went home, you know, it would start back up again, you know, and my father had, you know, a window of a couple of hours, you know, an hour to two hours where he could take advantage of us, Um when my mother wasn't home, um, you know, and that was, you know, when she had started going to work. And he just, in the middle of the night, he knew she was sleeping, and that's when, you know, he could also take advantage of us. Um, and his his way of of getting, she agreed with him as far as the punishments, and some of it still exists today, but a lot of it was, um, you know, when we were younger, you know, it's, it was accepted, um, you know, beatings and, you know, things of that nature, you know, physical and, and uh, mental abuse. I mean, that just was accepted in society, you know, and people just didn't want to talk about it, and they didn't want to talk about other families okay. with it, so it, I want to, I don't want to say it was accepted, you know, in the general public. Um, but it was accepted to keep it quiet and not and not bring it up that it was happening, you know, and expose it in the family. Um, so yeah, yeah, it was it was pretty tumultuous. Um, and today I have healed a lot um, from what had happened to me. Um, I had when I was a kid, I was scared a lot. Um, I hated, you know, having to go to bed because I knew what was coming. Um, and, and I just, you know, I would lay in bed and, you know, I'd be afraid. Um, and if I fell asleep, you know, I knew that he'd be coming in 
So, you know, your head plays, you know, different games with you, um, you know, when that happens. So I would finally fall asleep and, you know, then I would, you know, he'd come in my room and and before I started barricading my door, um, I wouldn't know that he was coming in if I was asleep and all of a sudden I would feel his hands on me. Um, And, and it just, you know, it's an awful feeling. Uh, it's just, it's almost, you know, you just try and take yourself out of the situation, you know, and he would ask me questions and talk to me, and and uh, it's just, it's disgusting because no parent should, nobody should yeah. do that to a child. Um, and yeah. thankfully today, uh, it's a lot different, you know, where, where kids are a lot, you know, better protected today than they were uh, years ago. And I had no, you know, it was, he would play head games with me, you know, and, and as I was saying, you know, he'd say, well, your mother will make, make me leave. And, um, and I didn't want that. I mean, as a five-year-old child, you know, six-year-old child, you know, it's, you want your parents to be there. Um, and at that point in time, I had the real, the what? Very manipulative. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. And at that point in time, you know, he was—he wasn't really putting uh, physically as far as um, beatings. My brothers were taken, you know, those types of uh, abuse. Mine was more sexual at that point in time. And uh, and as I got older, he started, you know, both. You know, he started beating me, and then. You know, I had to listen to, you know, him uh, beat my brothers. So I would hide, um, you know, as he was doing those types of things, you know, to my brothers. And and it kind of, it was awful, um, you know, and it was over stupid things. I mean, stuff that should have never even, he should have never raised his voice about. Um, but he mm-hmm. just was that type of a person. He's a he's a predator. And right. and it's um and it was almost like and I I think today that it was probably some type of sexual predator ring. because um, I found out over the years that there have been, you know, other people in the town and this was a small little town. It was seven miles long and four miles wide. Very very small town. And there was uh, too many people, you know, kids that had that going on in that town where it, it definitely was some type of predator ring. Um, and when I was uh, seven, I was at my grandmother's okay. house and my uncle molested me. Um, and I found out, you know, over the years that he had also. Um, molested four other of my family members, um, my aunt, and then um, three of my cousins, and two of them were his daughters. Um, And he had taken me into the bathroom um, and coaxed me into, you know, having uh, oral sex, having me do oral sex with them. Um, My biggest fear is that he would do that to other kids in the family. And I didn't, and not at that age, because you really don't think like that. 
But as I get older, like Mm -hmm. in my 30s and and in my 40s, you know, I started wondering if he had done that to, you know, any of the other kids in the family. And then I found out that he had. um, Mm -hmm. And one of my cousins, um, she had been institutionalized at the age of 12. And I I, kind of at that point in time thought maybe he might have done something to her but there was no evidence of it um and you know so i talked to her later on and i found out yeah he had done that to her um and to her sister um and then you know to two other uh, family members i found out so i actually moved down to florida i'm originally from massachusetts um and before before i left permanently to come down to florida um i had I had talked to his wife, told her that I wanted to talk to him. I wrote him a letter um, about how I felt, and I went and gave him that letter. Um, And, you know, he he started reading the letter while I was standing there and then got really angry. And I told him at that point in time, I said, if you ever touch another child in this family, I will come back for you. And I said, you are worth going to jail for. So keep that in mind. My tone wasn't as even as it is right now. Um, and this and is your I, uncle? Yes, it was my uncle, yep. And so okay. I walked out of the house and I told his wife if he ever did it to another child that she would lose her husband. And oh. I left the house. And I have never talked to either one of them since. Um and wow. because, because that's so brave of, of you. Yes, well, I was an adult at that, that was point. That's so brave I of you. What, what yeah. made? And then, mm-hmm. what were you? You yeah. said you were mad at that point. Yes, and and I knew I was leaving for Florida for good. And I probably, if if he had ever tried it on another child, he probably would have got away with it. Um, so because everybody in my family they did not hold, keep him away from the kids. They didn't want it exposed. Some of the people in the family had businesses, and they felt mm-hmm. that their name would be associated with it, and they didn't want their name associated with it. Well, the kids in the family are more important than their businesses. That's how I felt. And I, mm-hmm. knew, I knew I had to do something before I left. I didn't know what. And so I sat down and I wrote it all out. And after writing it all out, I decided that I was going to give the letter to him. And at that point in time, I knew by his reaction um, that he wasn't going to stop. So I had to literally threaten him. um, And I threatened him with everything, with with going to the cops. uh, And if I needed to, uh, he would be eliminated. And I probably, so be, I probably shouldn't be saying that on there, but um, that's well, exactly that was how in, I And that's part of your story. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Okay, I want to um, say something. Um, mm-hmm. What were you sure. going to say? And I want to open up the floor for questions or comments. I know um, Ms. Kim wanted to definitely get in. Um, that's my co-host. She wanted to come in and uh, share some some words with you, but I, I wanted you to just finish your what your sentence, what you were just saying. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm I'm done with that part of it. I just, you know, I left um, and came down to Florida, 
and you know I'll continue after the questions um, because it's been it's been horrific with my family. Um, so oh yeah, I know that it's a it's a process. We understand, right. and we just want to remind you that you're not alone. Um, the people who are tuning in right now and listening, um, you know, we're pretty familiar with them. Not everybody's going to speak tonight, and that's okay. But we're yep. all survivors, and many things that you said tonight we can relate to, many things that you said tonight. And I'm so proud of you even, I mean, we're so proud of you for your strength and for your courage to be able to come forward and share your testimony because people need to hear. People need to hear it. People need to hear it. And many people will be able to relate and also preventing suicide because people feel alone right now, especially those right. who've been through this severe type of emotional, mental, physical, spiritual, sexual trauma. Miss um, Kim? Yes. Hey. Yes, hi. Ma'am. Good evening. Hello. Hi, Dr. Nancy. Hello. Hi. Um, hi, Beth. <laughs> Hello. Nice to talk with you again. Yes, and I'm you also. First of all, yeah, thank you. Um, first of all, I am so sorry that that happened to you and happened to so many people in your family. And um, I know as you know, Dr. Nancy was saying we can relate in, in a lot of different ways. And I just, as we've talked about, too, on this show is the whole generational trauma and um, and then abuse that keeps going. And, um, and I feel personally, mm-hmm. I've shared this, too, that my mom told me at 15 when I told her what my stepdad had done, that it just happens. And so that's how... Mm-hmm. It happened with me is because she had that mindset somewhere along the way and she was really young she was 16 when she had me so she was you know her she wasn't done <laughs> growing but um but somewhere along the way she just got in her mind that it's just gonna happen to, to me too and I and I thought no I'm not gonna let that happen so you know it does people like you who stand up and say, no, we're not going to keep this mm-hmm. going. And um, so, yeah, I, I do commend you on, on standing up for yourself and for the, your family. I mean, as far as that goes, that's what, what needs to be done. And it does make a difference. You know, it really does. Because like you said, you know that there are enough people that know now what would happen, the consequences that, and, and that the same thing I felt with my stepdad as well as I didn't, it, he never did anything ever again because he knew mm-hmm. there were so many people that would come after him. So, um, yeah. And another thing that you had mentioned too, Beth, was not doing well in school. And, you know, that's so common too. And, and I was the same way. I tried really, really hard. I tried to be the really good, you know, good girl and do everything right, but I could not concentrate. I just couldn't concentrate at school. And, right. you know, it's, right. looking back mm-hmm. now, it makes sense, right? Because it's like, how could we have? Yeah. There's really no way for a little child 
to take in all of that that's going on at home and then come and pretend like it's, you know, nothing's happening. Now, people do, kids, and kids can compartmentalize. But a lot of times those are the kids that just completely block it and don't ever, you know, until they're much, much older to get that out. And so, um, yeah, thank you for sharing that part of your story again and just kind of catching us up to where you're at and, and why you have a passion. So I appreciate you and, and thank you. Oh, you're welcome. That was good, yeah. It's not easy doing it. It's not for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a lot of consequences for opening your mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Say and, that again. Yep. And and back <laughs> to what you were saying about school, uh, you're, you know, we were just kids when we were in school, you know, and it's you go to school after that happening the night before. You're sitting in school. You can't concentrate. It's correct. You know, because all you're thinking yeah. about is what just happened to you the night before, and then you're thinking about when you go home, what's going to happen when you get home. And all as a kid, all you want is for it to stop. You want a normal family. You want a mother and father that love you, you know, and you want to, to be normal. And you look around the classroom at the other kids, you know, and you think, you know, I wonder what goes on in their home. You know, they going through the same thing, and you yeah. don't want to talk about it to somebody else because it's so private. And and you're told not to talk about it, you know, that there's consequences to it. Um, and as a little kid, you don't know any better. You know, it's you just think that's mm-hmm. the way life is supposed to be, but you know it's not the way it's supposed to be. You know, mm-hmm. you know that there's normalcy. You look at, like I would look at my grandmother. My grandmother was wonderful. And I was really lucky to have her. But, you know, after, you know, getting a little bit older, I realized I don't know if she knew about it. Um, But at one point uh, when one of the kids, it came up that um, it was done to one of my cousins, um, she didn't want to hear about it. You know what I mean? And, I mean, she was older, though. Um, But it's it's very scary when, when you're around other kids. Because you do, you wonder, is it happening to somebody else? You know, is it normal? You know, is it, is it, you know, what's going on in their house? Is it the same thing? You know, can you talk to somebody about it? You know, and if you're threatened, you can't. Um, it, there's just all kinds of chaos mm-hmm. going in, in a kid's head. You know, it, it's awful. Well, Absolutely such, awful. Such, such stress. Not to cut you off, I'm sorry, but that is, such a high level of stress to put on the shoulders of a child. That is like so severe. Even just, I mean, we've been through it, so we can relate, but hearing you say that and really putting ourselves right now, putting myself outside of that circle and hearing you say that, that is just tremendous amount of pressure. And I mean, that's so traumatic for a child. Uh, we do have one more of a person. I don't know if uh, Miss Lori wants to say anything, if she has any comments or any questions. I just want to open up the mic if anyone else would like to um, make a comment or share, be supportive for our beautiful sister, Miss Beth. Oh, uh, yeah. Hi. 
Um, beginning, and you were talking about uh, all the advocacy you did, and uh, your main thing is now, you know, changing laws. I've seen that actually happen, you know. So, um, the more people that come forward, the more the the people who are actually changing these laws are going to be open to it because now it's out in the open and people know things and. It's just one more law. And the big thing is that I found out that the different states are not caught up on the same law as other states are. And that has definitely um, destroyed chances of children getting justice for what was done to them. Um, And that goes as far as even the kids that didn't make it, that were actually murdered by their parents. I mean, so the laws are a very important thing that... And for you to be doing that. Um, I'm having a hard time understanding you. Uh, is your mouth right at the phone? Can you hear me now? There we go. That's perfect. Okay. You know, I was on, on with the laws um, that they all the states definitely need to be updated with the same laws because some aren't. Uh, so I was impressed immediately with that. And I checked out your bio. I went also on to the, your organization uh, I wanted to see uh, where you were. You left off because you were wanting to open it again, and I think that's also an amazing thing. Now, as far as your father goes, um, he <laughs> had the world around him going. Um, I honestly do believe that your mother knew. Uh, it's kind of impossible to live in the same house and not alone you, but your other siblings to be victimized to where the mother doesn't know. See, in my house, I was just thrown into the lion's den. I mean, my mother just gave me to my father when I was a baby. So his thing was an everyday. That was what I was there for. You know, I could, even at my age, I'm 65, I still hear those footsteps down the hallway coming into my bedroom. Okay, no way. You're, break, you're breaking up again. You're breaking up again. Oh, I, kept, I don't know why. Um, but my father used to come right into the bedroom every single night. He would stalk me around the house every single day. My mother, you know, just let it happen, I guess, so she didn't have to be bothered, you know, with him at all because she was a head case anyway. But what happened to me is I became more introverted. Um, I didn't really tell anybody because there was nobody to tell. We were the abandoned family, you know, that kicked out of the the regular family because nobody could stand my mother, which was good reason because that woman was a true psychotic and she tortured me to, to unbelievable lengths. Um, so when I went to school... I didn't like school, but it got me, um, I don't know, I guess out of the house or somewhat. I never felt connected to any of the students in there because really even the ones that had bad stories like mine, they weren't as bad as mine. And I went with, like, foster kids and any kind of kids that were abused, we all seemed to kind of collect. But somehow or another through it all, I was always, like, able to maintain an A average going through it so i think i will losing you again oh my goodness this isn't good uh (laughs) 
This isn't good at well, all. Well, I hear her. I hear her good. So maybe it's Miss Beth's phone. Um, we've I've heard every every time that the phone breaks up, we I hear you clearly. I don't know, uh, Miss Kim. So should I? Have stop? you heard her good? No, no. Yeah, I, hear you. I can we hear, hear you. Okay. Fine. I I think yeah, we hear yeah, you I fine. Think I think it's probably Miss Beth's connection. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so then I'll yeah, and Lori starts talking and get excited too. I think you get excited, Lori, and you talk a little bit faster, which is oh, know, that's fun. That's because I just start talking. You know? <laughs> I, I get that. I can older. hear that. I want to make sure that you can hear each other. Yes, but you can be heard. Okay. So yeah, okay. I'll, I'll try to slow down. <laughs> okay, I know the damage yes. that you've suffered. I think what you are doing, what you've done, and what your future plans to do are of extremely important. I find you yes. to be a very personable person. You're well-seasoned. You know how to come across to people, um, slowly talking, very you know, explicit, and you're very credible. Um, so I would love to see um, how far you get. I want to see that you may, you've changed those. I want to see your organization, you know, bloom again, because I think that you can do it. From what you said and what I've heard, I think you can pull everything you want to do off, and you're a yeah, pro. I you. do. You know, doing this since forever. You know, my only question mm-hmm. is, did your siblings ever get any help? Um, we, we actually made a pact, um, my, myself and my two older siblings. Um, we made a pact at one point where um, we talked about it, and my brother, one of my brothers talked to his wife and, you know, told her, you know, about it this before they got married and told her about it because uh, he wanted that to be known before uh, he got married. And or I should say because he was getting married um, and before he had children, he wanted her to know. Um, he had questions, um, and I know at that point in time I knew it, and, and he never heard his kids. He was probably on the opposite extreme where he let them get away with too much because of what he had been through. Um, and his kids are terrific. All, all of my brother's kids are terrific. And then my other brother, um, he he had some of the burden, uh, you know, going into adulthood and as an adult. Um, he hasn't really, you know, seeked the counseling um, road that he should have. Uh, he talked to me, and both of them have talked to me a lot about it. Um, and, you know, that kind of helped. But we made a pact that if, you know, there was ever any type of thought or anything like that there, um, that we would talk to each other about it. Um, and there was never anything, you know, nobody ever, you know, they did not. Uh, I don't have children because I can't have kids. Um, but they never ever even had, you know, those types of thoughts with their children. 
Um, so which was, you know, because it was completely out of their head because we all talked about it. You know, the mm-hmm. three of us talked about it. And I wasn't afraid right. to talk to them about it. And I think that probably helped. And plus, one of my brothers talked to his wife about it. And my other sister-in-law knew also about what happened. Um, so it was opened up. It wasn't something that was hidden. Um, and I think that and made a huge good. difference. Um, yeah. And and I, when I exposed it with um, with my uncle, I also at that point in time, um, one of my cousins had got married, and this is how sick it is. One of my cousins had got married, and I sent her a text message and congratulated her on her marriage. I didn't know when um, she had got married because I wasn't at, at that. This probably, this might have been maybe about 10 years ago, maybe a little bit less, um, but I wasn't really talking to people in my family um, because of the fact that I had exposed my uncle and I had written a book and exposed them in my book. Um, so um, they were not happy with me. Um, they came after me in different ways, trying to destroy my career, um, things of that nature. Uh, and I had, when my cousins started getting married, I watched, and, and if any of them had girls, um, then I talked to them and I let them know about, you know, um, my uncle. And there's a huge difference between, like, my mm-hmm. first cousins um, that are my age and then my sec- my other set of cousins that are younger. Um, so this was the younger group. And, you know, I sent her a text message. I said, you know, congratulations on your marriage. I'm really, you know, happy that you found someone, and I wish her the best with that. But I also want to let you know that your uncle is a sexual predator, and he molested mm-hmm. five of the girls in the family. And I think you should know if you're planning on having children, to keep, if they're girls, to keep them away from him. Because my father didn't go mm-hmm. around, um, like, um, that much around, you know, the uh, my mother always kind of separated everybody from him, which that's another reason mm-hmm. why I think that she may have known. Um, but my uncle is around mm-hmm. these kids all the time. And so oh, wow. I wanted I wanted her to know. Well, that my family at that point in time they disowned me, um, and wow. they just they have nothing to do with me. Um, they called my mother, and um, and I had also posted something on Facebook um, about him being a predator because I wanted the other families that were out there not to bring their kids, their girls around him. Um, right. Right. So anyway, because my family hid it. They hid it from everybody, and they're a very, very right. social family. Um, they had people around them all the time, young girls around around him. And he took me in the bathroom as a child and, and you know, mm-hmm. molested me, and he would do the same thing with another child. So mm-hmm. anyway, um, at that point in time, they ended up um, calling my mother and my mother almost disowned me at that point in time. And her and I had a very tumultuous relationship through the years because of the abuse. And mm-hmm. so uh, my mother ended up having a heart attack. Um, that was in November. And then in December, she had a heart attack. Um, so, and it was because of some of this stuff. 
And instead of them saying, yeah, we won't let him around our kids, we promise you that, you know, he'll never do it again, um, they were on the attack. And they attacked me in every way possible. And they wanted my mother to have nothing to do with me, um, and they wanted her to say something to me to stop talking about him being a child molester. Mm-hmm. Um, my mother called me, and she told me, she says, I don't want you doing that. Um, you know, it's, she said, if you don't stop doing that, then, you know, I'm going to disown you. And I said, you know what? I said, then disown me. I said, I am not letting another child in this, in this family right. be molested by him. And we had a huge fight, and and I just, you know, it was a while before I talked to her again. And it got to the point where she had to have a pacemaker put in. She wouldn't know. I'm only, at that point in time, I was only like two hours away from her. She was living in Florida. They were up in Massachusetts. It got so bad um, because she didn't want to lose her family over protecting him. She was still protecting him. She called up to Massachusetts, and my youngest brother and my sister-in-law came down and spent the time with her when when she had the pacemaker put in, instead of calling me, who was two hours away. So there was a huge loss as far as, you know, my relationship with her. And it's because of my uncle and because my father was sexual predators, and they wanted to hide it. Uh, it has a huge impact on families. And it really screws the family dynamic. I'm sorry. Who is your Who's uncle related to? Is he related my to mother. your father or to your mother? No, he's okay. related, related to my mother. It's my mother's brother. Okay. And so then you had he, to deal with your mother's side of the family and your father's side of the family. Right. Not so much my father's side of the family, um, because they, my father always kept us away from them. Um, there was one aunt uh, and her husband um, that that we would see. This is when we were young kids. Um, okay. And at that, at that point in time, he didn't really see his brothers and his sister. He kept them away from uh, us. And I realized years later why. You know, because they probably knew, um, you know, what was going on. And and he was afraid of it being exposed. Because I'm sure it probably happened in his family, you know, by someone. I never found out who, but I'm sure that that they probably, you know, they had a very rough upbringing, and I'm sure that was part of it. Um, right. So anyway... I, after I got, I was in my teenage years, I did get to spend time with my father's father, um, and he never did anything like that to me, you know, and I loved going over there, but it took, it took being in my teens for me to really even be around him um, because they wouldn't let me near, you know, my father's side of the family. Um, but, yeah, we were, we, my mother's side of the family you know, we were all close growing up, my cousins, and um, and we always did, you know, all the holidays together, Thanksgiving, Christmas, Fourth uh, of July. You know, we were always okay. together on all of the holidays. Um, and, and it just, you know, so we all became very close. And, and I just found, I found for myself that 
I just could not let this guy get away with this anymore in the next generation. He molested right. three generations uh, in my family. I'm talking about my uncle at this point. Um, but it was really tumultuous, even into, you know, even even today it is, because I still don't have relationships uh, with my family the way that I should because of him being a child uh, predator. And they don't want to deal right. with it. And I do. I don't want him around the next generation of kids. Uh, and they make up lies about me. You know, they tell people, you know, that there's, you know, I'm mentally ill. Um, they t- tell people all these different types of, you know, things that, you know, and, and to make people feel sorry for the family and to make me look like an ogre, um, you know, because they don't want to, uh, they don't want it public. Okay, so you sharing your story caused this this kickback from the family. So instead oh, of them feeling, yeah, instead of them feeling sorry for the child that you were having to go through that and feeling proud that you're standing up and telling them so that their children won't be abused, you got pushback from the family for telling your truth. Your abuse. Exactly. And what kind of message does that send to the other children? <laughs> right, exactly. I'm confused. And I think the hardest thing for a survivor that's an advocate to get the right. story across so that people understand, they don't understand when an adult is telling it. They understand it from, they don't understand that the adult used to be a child. And as a child, this happened. They don't, they can't, it's almost like people disassociate, you know, an adult from being abused to a child being abused. If it was a five-year-old that was up there saying it, you know, I think it would be different than it is, you know, a 50-year-old up there. And and there's a huge disconnect between that. Um, And I... I am going to advocate till the day I die. Um, they don't right. like that, um, but that's that's not my problem. My problem is making sure that the kids in the family are safe. Um, and you. that was good. And 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 it's just I lost my family because of it. Um, some days right. I have I have a hard time dealing with it. Um, because we were so close, but then I think yeah. about the reasons why, and and it doesn't bother me. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's I know myself. I'm right. doing the right thing. Um, I know I'm yeah. keeping, um, you know, or keeping what he did alive, um, so that yeah. he can never do it again. Um, I'm making yeah. everybody aware that kids should not be molested, um, and. Yeah. And putting it out there. As a matter of fact, um, some of the some of the things that I've done over the years, um, mm-hmm. uh, I have like right now. Um, I don't know if you guys know uh, Pamela Pine. Uh, she runs Stop the Silence. We had a meeting today. There's uh, 23 of us that are survivors um, that put together uh, a chapter in a book that Stop the Silence is sponsoring, 
and it's going to be published in March. And it's about mm-hmm. it's about healing. And a short piece of it is the story to tell why we had to heal. And then it's all the healing techniques um, of what survivors or what victims have to go through to, to cross the line into survivorship. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's going to be tremendous. Um, so I'm really excited about that. Yeah. But I'll tell you something Um, to cross. mm -hmm. The biggest thing for someone is to come out of being a victim and it takes years, Mm. um, and cross over into survivorship. Um, it's, it's very difficult to do, um, because usually when you're in, and I guess not so much today as it was, you know, 30, 40 years ago. Um, because there was no no resources around. Um, I had at one point, um, I had I had just had enough. Um, and as I said, my father had started doing the beatings on me that he had was doing on my brothers. So I became defiant, and you know I got old enough and realized what he was doing wasn't right. Um, and I wasn't going to take it anymore. And so, um, so he had um, he was coming into my room, and he was going through all my stuff. He was going through my drawers, going through my uh, clothing. I had a snorkel coat. I don't know if anybody remembers what that is, um, but it's this coat that has about fifty pockets in it, and. Uh, and he would go through everything in my room. Um, and he was doing this uh, one day, and I finally got fed up with it. Um, and I told him he wasn't going through my stuff anymore. And so we get into a fight. And at that point in time, he pulled out the strap, and he beat me with the strap. And mm. I had welts all over my body, all over my back. And I went to, you know, I ran out of the house. I'm like, I'm not taking this anymore. And I had run away for a long time. Um, I started running away probably I was about 10. And and I just had had enough. At this point, I said, I'm not coming back. And I went to the lady's house that I babysat for. And one of my friend's sisters was, was there. And she saw the welts on my back. She called the cops. The cops came. And I went up to the police station. And, you know, he... he uh, you know, he asked me questions, where did he touch you, you know, things like that. So I get up there, he called my mother. Um, my mother come up with my brother, and, you know, my mother told him I was on drugs and that I was lying. And I told him, I said, I said that's not true, and I said, I am not going back to that house. And he was like, well, you can't stay here at the police station. And they didn't have, like, they didn't have like the um, shelters and stuff that they have now. Um, They didn't have like a DCF to come pick me up. And so I told him, I said, I am not going back to that house. I'm not going through this anymore. And so it was worked out between my mother and my aunt and the police that I would go to Texas for a year. So I went and I stayed at my grandmother's house for that night. And then I was on a plane the next day and went to my aunt's house and I was there for a year and uh and my father you know told me I had started after I think about six months I guess you know talking to him again 
Um, he told me it would never happen again, um, and I believed him. And I came home after a year, and it wasn't that long after I was back, he started it again. And I was Your like, father? Uh, yeah, my father. And uh, and I was like, How I'm did he not... start again? He would try, I'd be doing the dishes, you know, and he'd come around and, and he'd try and, you know, grab my breast. And I was like, oh, this isn't happening, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, I was old enough. Yeah. I was a teenager at that point. And How so old were I, you around? I, I was probably around 14, 15. And I was like, oh, no, 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 this isn't happening. I ran away from you home. You know better, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I started running away when I was about 10 years old. And I slept outside. I had, as I was telling you, I had my snorkel coat. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would sleep underneath people's houses. And I actually would sleep underneath some of my friends' beds. Um, and I went and lived a year with uh, one of my friends' families. And, you know, it was really, uh, once I get old enough to understand that it wasn't supposed to happen, I was, I ran away all the time. And the cops would bring me home. And then it would start again, and I would run away again. So and my brother was the same way. He ran away. Um, and, you know, finally my oldest brother, he went and lived with my grandmother. I think he was 14 or 15. Um, he just had had enough. And so he went to live with my grandmother. My other brother, um, you know, would run away. And, you know, then he'd be brought home by the cops. Um, and, and all three of us did that for years. And Did you guys, was, did you ever... Did you ever open up to a friend at school or a teacher or anyone? No, no. You didn't do that back then. Um, one teacher right, I think but... probably knew uh, something was going on. I used to, I loved to read, and I just was an avid reader. And one of my, uh, a teacher that taught uh, speed uh, reading um, took a shining to me as a kid. And so I, I would, um, I had a class with her, and then she would during, um, during like my breaks and stuff. Uh, I had a period where you know you'd sit in the cafeteria and like study, and she would let me go up into her room um, and read for you know that period of time, and she would teach me, you know how to you know techniques and things like that for reading. And I'll tell you, bless her soul, uh, that's probably one of the reasons why I did so well after high school. Um, and and I had, um, you know, the principal of the school, uh, actually the vice principal, her name was Miss Howarth, and, you know, my mother would talk to her, and my mother told her, you know, that I was on drugs and just, you know, a bad kid. Instead of, you know, they didn't tell the truth back then. So you know, I would get called into the uh intimate Howard's office, you know, and and uh, but I never got suspended from school. So I think she may have known also, but because it was so hush hush back then, you know, um pedophiles got away with doing this stuff. You know, it was very oh, difficult. That was good that you, you said know? that. It's true. It's true. Mm-hmm. Pedophiles yeah. got away with doing that. Uh, um, I yeah. want to um, bring in Ms. Kim. I want to ask her to join us. That's, um, okay. that's my partner there. 
because hey. I'm sure <laughs> we can relate to a lot of what you're saying. Do you have any comments, Ms. Kim? Any any questions to, or any comments about yes. what you're saying? I know you can relate to a lot of what you're saying. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. I mean, um, first of all, though, I want to say, Seth, I am in that book as well. I was on the call this morning. So I was like, that's why your name looks so darn familiar to me because I'm in that the stop silence book as well. So um <laughs> yeah, that's exciting. Exciting to to have you on here. I don't, are you there? Uh, I'm back. I yeah. hear you. Oh there you are. Okay. Beth, you're there? Okay. <laughs> there okay. You are. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, that was so funny. But yeah, I'm glad you were. Nice to have you on here. And um yeah, I think that for sure that just about everything that you you say I can relate to. I I I too think how can a mother not know? And um my dad used to bless me in why well, she was in the same bed. I you know, would crawl into their bed like most kids do. And um, he would molest me right there. And I would just be like, how could she not, you know, I would for my mind, oh, wow. how could she not know? Right. And, yeah, so, she you know, there's that. Yeah. Hmm. And, and then, you know, for her to tell me it happened later on it, and then stay with him, that pretty much just solidified it there. But, um, yeah, well, um, I, I know that by the time that, I got married, and and then we started having kids. Um, he was still in our life, but there were boundaries. You know, I just had to start doing boundaries, and I, I have to say that I probably wasn't as good as I would have been now, knowing what I know. But, um, but no other kids that I know of that I have heard and everybody knows what I'm doing now, including my, my stepdad. And uh, my mom passed away 20 years ago. But um, but he knows what I'm doing as well, that I go out and do this advocacy work and, and do classes. And there are times that he has been one of my biggest supporters, which is a strange thing, kind of a strange concept when you think about it. Um, but he has been. And, and I'm thankful for that because at least, you know, like I said, I'm not cowering in the corner like a child anymore. I am saying this is what's going to happen. I'm going to stand up for the kids. You know, this is what I think. This is what I do for a living now. And, um, you know, when they need that. Have you keep kept your kids away from him? Well, my kids are adults now. Um Yes and no. I mean, we had a lot of family gatherings at that point. So, like I said, everybody had known, and he knew, just like you said, he knew that he would have been killed. And um, yeah. and I don't think that it was even actually probably verbalized just like that, but he knew it, and, you know, there were like it was out by then, you know. When I when he did it to me, it was still all a secret. 
Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, now is it's a lot different, and and I am even dealing with now trying to help him at the end of his life, and there's a lot of struggles that I come up against that I didn't realize would be a struggle, you know, and right. um, because I had forgiven him and and everything, so. I think it's always going to be a journey. <laughs> We're always going to be trying to heal because it was something horrific that happened to us. Any any kind of that kind of abuse is is just not called for and should happen. So, um, isn't it isn't it weird how that line is there? It's the hate mm-hmm. love line. You learn that as yeah. a kid. You know what I mean? And it's it's you want your father there right. to be your father, but you don't want the abuse. And you always think it's mm-hmm. going to change, and it's never going to change. Mm-hmm. And it's funny you that you said it. that about the end of life. Um, before my father passed away, um, like we had never really had a normal relationship. You know, I might have said hi to him and stuff like that, but I never really spent any time with him you know, after I left home. Um, As a matter of fact, they weren't even invited to my high school graduation, um, and they did show up. Um, I didn't say anything to them at that point about being there, you know, but they wanted to um, be there. And, and, you know, at that point in time, it was, I mean, that was fine. Um, But when he died, my mother had, um, my mother became friends with him again. Um, she had confronted him, and then she became friends with him again. And I found that really difficult. Um, my yeah. mother and I had a real tumultuous relationship through the years. And a lot of it was because, like you said, I knew she knew. Um, I didn't want to believe it. I didn't want to believe my mother would allow that to happen to me. Um, but, you know, as I, I realized as my cousins got molested, when she hid my uncle and she was ready to disown me, that she also not just protected a brother, she protected my father. Um, and she thought that it was okay that that happened. Um, and uh, even if she didn't think it was okay, she allowed it to happen. Um, so when my father, my father went into the hospital, he had a biopsy done on his lung, and his lung collapsed. And then he, uh, he went home, he, he uh, took himself out of the hospital early. My mother, um, you know, brought him to his house. I didn't even know where he lived at that point. And my mother said that, you know, she had had a game of cards. She was going to play with her friends, but she couldn't because she couldn't get anybody to um, go over and, and, you know, basically monitor um, my father. You know, he couldn't be left alone. So... Um, and there's the love-hate thing again, um, and I said, okay. I said, I'll come over. Where does he live? I'll come over and and uh, and watch him so you can go play cards. Now, I hadn't seen him in years, um, and so I went over there, and for the first time in years, I, I think probably ever, was the first time I actually had a real conversation with him, um, and I had confronted him years years prior to that. I had wrote a letter to him uh, with my brother, 
and we went and he was living in a rooming house and we went and we gave him that letter and the letter had everything in it that he had done to all of us. He sat there and he cried and and my brother and I left. Um, and this was the first time I had seen him since then. Um, and so we sat down and we didn't talk about the molestation or the abuse. We just talked about normal things. And that was the first time I had ever done that with him. Uh, he looked so frail sitting in that chair. Um, and it, his house, my father was meticulous when we were growing up. It was like, it was almost like a military style where, you know, they use the white glove to go over and make sure there's no dust. And he did things. He left like pennies on the furniture, toothpicks underneath the chairs and stuff like that. And that's how he knew, you know, week to week, if we didn't hit a particular you know, spot, he'd go find the penny of the toothpick. Um, and he mm-hmm. we, didn't, we didn't vacuum underneath that particular piece of furniture. So then we would go mm-hmm. into the next week. So it was like military tactics that he used. Mm-hmm. Um, so so this day, when I had gone over to his house, his house was a mess. It was falling apart. Um, he hadn't dusted in mm-hmm. like, you know, it looked like weeks. You know, he was very... Uh, horticultural as far as his trees and things like that. He always had a pristine yard, loved all of that type of stuff. And and his yards, his plants looked like they hadn't been maintained in years. Um, so I, the guilt, what, I, what I'm saying about the love-hate, that guilt set in because it brought me back to how I knew him, you know, when the abuse was happening and and it was like, you know, in my head, it's like, well, should I stay and help him? I feel bad for him. He's sitting in that chair. He's very frail, um, you know, and, or, you know, he did this to me, you know, fuck him, pardon my expression. Um, mm-hmm. but, but it was like, it's like that churning through your head. You don't know what to do. So anyway... Um, so we had, you know, good conversation and stuff, and I decided that, you know, I'm at the age, this is uh, in 2003, I'm like, you know, I'm old enough that he can't do anything to me, you know, if he tries to do something to me, you know, it's, he can't because, you know, of his condition and, and because I'm, uh, you know, I can stick up for myself at this point. And it's stupid stuff like that that runs through your head, even as an adult. Um, so anyway, I made the decision. I'm like, okay, I'm going to be the bigger person. Uh, he's ill. You know, I can't, I can't, I need to make sure that, you know, he's okay until at least my mother gets back. So, mm-hmm. so anyway, I decided I was going to help and I was going to, you know, dust his furniture and, you know, do his plants and stuff like that and at least try and make the place livable. So anyway, he was sitting in the chair uh, I went into the bedroom, and I still didn't trust him. And, and I mean, at this point, he's a frail old man. He couldn't do a damn thing to me. But I still mm-hmm. locked, that, locked that door. I went into his room because I, I decided I was going to stay overnight. The next day I was going to fix his house up so at least it was livable for him. So he had on the bedroom door, he had a lock. And I clipped that lock. And and he started choking, and I think he probably heard that and understood why I clipped that lock, um, because I still, you know, I didn't want him, the psyche of him coming into my room for so many years and doing what he did, 
you know, I still felt that I had to lock the door, even though I knew I didn't have to lock the door. You know, it's like that stupid, you know, you go back and forth in your head, you know, and it's like just for safety purposes, I'm going to lock the door. Um, So anyway, I heard him um, start choking, so I went back out to where he was, and he was on the floor. Uh, He had fallen, and it wasn't maybe, you know, 15 minutes to a half hour after that he, he died. Um, and so I call, I was a mess and I called my mother, um, and, you know, she ended up calling the ambulance. They came and then they took him over to the hospital. And then uh, I had thought that he had died at that point because he just collapsed and he wasn't breathing. Um, well, they got him back revived in the ambulance, but when he got over to the hospital, he was dead. Um, so I ended up going over to the hospital, wow. my brother met us over there. But I'll tell you something, uh, that, when, when that, at that point in time, I was a mess. I, I just, I mean, I was completely a mess. Um, but I think that was God, you know, having me go over there with him and being there, having a normal conversation so I didn't have to, you know, think about things for the rest of my life. And mm-hmm. and I did the right thing, I feel, by going over there and making, having that conversation with him. Not making amends, but just having a normal conversation with him. I got to see another side of what life should have been between a father and a daughter. And mm-hmm. that just, I, I swear to God, it was God. Um, he, when he was sitting on the floor, uh, he had his arm outstretched and he was talking to somebody when I went out, um, when I came out of the room and I'm like, who are you talking to? It's like, he didn't even know I was there. And, and I'm telling you, it, it was God stepped in to say, this girl needs, you know, some type of help with the situation. And, and it worked. Because I'll tell you something, I don't have any guilty feelings about him dying. Yeah. I don't have any guilty feelings about, you know, what he did. That all went away um, that day. And and so I don't me, have to worry about any of that. So let me ask you a question, and then I want to open yeah. up the mic. You only have about 10 minutes. Time is almost up. Well, it went by pretty quickly. Um, but I, I want to ask you a question. Well, actually, um, let me just open up the mic. Um, does anyone have any comments, any questions, or um, want to make any any statements? Yeah, I'll jump right back Mike in through. there. Hey, uh, Laurie. <laughs> I jump in there when I have a lot to say. Um, mm-hmm. I find you pretty amazing, um, actually. You know, uh, I was upset when I heard you didn't have any kids. Uh, that I am sorry for, but you're going to be taking care of so many more kids that they're all going to be yours anyway. Um, what was pretty amazing for me is that you persisted um, in trying to heal by, you know, going down the road to see your your father and, and do what you did. Um the best I did was you know, when I heard my father had died. I, I mean, I kicked him out when my kid was born. 
but we, my sister did call and tell me that he died, or told my husband he died. You know, my my thing to do is I spit on his grave, and you know that was fine with me. But the way that you had worked um, to spiritually like heal yourself, that you knew to do it, you know, like that, and that you were aware that God was around you um, is pretty amazing. Um, you seem to put together a lot of the puzzle pieces that needed to be put together and as an adult, you know, seen differently than you did as a child because that's what's going to, you know, let you sleep at night and you don't have to think about all the bad that, stuff with exactly. that. Exactly. And that is that so important for everybody mm-hmm. to know. That you, what happened to you as a child, you're not responsible for that. And the guilt that, that kids feel, they should never own mm-hmm. anything like that. That's the adult's responsibility to know that they're adult and they mm-hmm. never t- touch a child. They never, no adult should ever abuse a child. Kids carry mm-hmm. that with them into adulthood. And until that onus is taken off of a kid, that guilt that they never should have had in the first place, until that's gone, they will never be able to heal the way that they're supposed to and, and be a whole person. They should never own anything mm-hmm. like that. No child should ever be touched, not ever. That goes right back on the adult. And one of the things is writing a letter or confronting the person, that is... Writing a letter in particular, because when you when you confront an adult, they're going to react different ways. Mostly, it's anger. Mm-hmm. So, writing a letter, mm-hmm. you put you're taking the onus off of yourself. You're putting it on a piece of paper, and even if that person's dead, you're still transitioning that from from yourself over to a piece of paper. I at least was fortunate yeah. enough with two of the predators to be able to give two. that piece right. of paper to them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that way there, it was, was completely good. gone off of me. And right. every kid should be taught to do that. You know, and it's right. it's very hard. I agree. Because you don't know how the person is going to react. And if it's still a kid, they're still growing mentally, you know, and, and they right. never learn the fundamental basics of, you know, what emotions are, you know, the, the real normal type of, of, you know, emotions and mm-hmm. what a kid is supposed to be, what a kid is supposed to do. So they have to learn all of that right. all over again, you know. And that was very healing. That what you did, I don't know where you got that from at that time, but let me tell you something. Writing down your emotions, writing down your feelings, all of that is very important, and that is part of healing. That's very therapeutic. Um, I want to just check if we have anyone else who has any more comments before we go over to Ms. Kim and then uh, have you to give us some empowerment or answer some of these questions. Does anyone else, um, the mics are open, anyone else have a question? I have a number 6218, uh, another number ending in 3357, and another number ending in 4030. If you'd like to make a comment, please share and join the mic. Okay. I would like to make a comment. I just want to commend her on speaking out. Growing up, mm-hmm. um, we had an uncle that molested us, but nobody never talked about it. And nobody was mm-hmm. brave enough to confront him. And when he died, mm-hmm. we found out that he had a lot more victims in the family. 
So mm-hmm. I just want to commend you on speaking out and protecting other kids in your family. Wow. That was powerful. Yeah, it, yeah, thank, thank you for sharing. Uh-huh. Yes, thank yeah, you so much. And that is yeah. every kid needs to heal. I went through tremendous uh, counseling. I had two counselors. There was one counselor, actually there was three. Uh, one counselor I really didn't like. I couldn't. There's a connection that's there when you go through when you go counseling with the counselor. If you don't feel that connection, then find another counselor. And I had two. Yeah, I have two. uh, Had two of the most beautiful women that talked to me, that counseled me, and I went to went to them for uh, one for at least a year, and the other one for a couple of years. And they were tremendous. And it is a huge piece of healing that you find somebody that you can talk to that you're comfortable with because you got to get everything out of your chest, everything that happened. You have to get all that off your chest and it's hard. I mean, it's reliving it again is very difficult and, but you have to do that to heal. And once, once you go to the counseling, it's, it's tremendous. You know, you just, it's like a burden lifted off of you and you learn techniques that you can use throughout your life. You know, and and you go back to those techniques. Um, Like I Mm -hmm. couldn't sleep as a kid. And in the book that we just wrote, um, they'll be coming out in March, it's Stop the Silence. Um, And and, uh, that was what we all did. Like as a kid, I used to to go to sleep. I would use Mm -hmm. um, almost like it was a, um, a blanket. It was an invisible blanket that I would put up over my body and I would go to the different mm-hmm. parts of my body. I would put that blanket over mm-hmm. it, and I would calm myself. I would do that over my fingers, up my arms. I would do that all the way up to my head and over the top of my head. So it was like an invisible shield that was over me that would protect mm-hmm. me and allow me to go to sleep. And it actually calmed my body. I wrote about that in this book that's going to be coming out. And, and I'll you. tell you something. There's different techniques that you can use and you can teach people. You don't even have to be a counselor. If you know that there's somebody in your family, um, you know, that's been through it, you know, it's those types of things that you can teach them that they can do so that, you know, you can sleep. I mean, sleep is essential, mm-hmm. you know, that you have a good night's sleep every night so that you can function every day. And addiction, I was lucky um, that, I mean, I did drugs as a kid. Mm-hmm. I drank as a kid. Uh-huh. You know, it's uh-huh. it's. Uh, I was sleeping outside, and um, uh-huh. I had myself and you know some of my friends. We would, you know, we drink booze, and I drank it just to stay warm. You know, so you uh-huh. see the homeless people that are out there, thirty and forty years old. I was doing that as a kid at ten, you know, eleven uh-huh. years old, and and just so that's probably why I don't do those things today because I started at a really early age. Um, and, but I'll tell you something, it all helped me. I don't regret any of it. Um, it helped me get through to, to the person that I am today. Um, and I'm talking about like the crutches that I used, um, and also the counseling. It was tremendous. I was very, very lucky to have the counselors that I did. And I can't stress it, Mm -hmm. you know, anymore that you need to find somebody you know, that you're comfortable with to talk to. 
And and it doesn't right. matter if it's a man or a woman. Um, but it's huge right. in doing that. Because nobody should nobody should walk through life, you know, in pain like that. You know, it's there's so much in life to do. And and every Ms. one Pat. of us has a voice. Yep, go ahead. Sorry, everyone you're right. So you have a minute and a half. Um, I wanted to have Miss Kim. I want. I don't know if she had a question or a comment, but then I wanted you to leave us with uh, final words, Miss Kim. Yeah. No. Um. I don't really have much of a question, Beth. But thank you for being on tonight and for sharing so openly and honestly for all that you're doing. Appreciate you. Okay. Thank you so much, Ms. Kim. So we have a minute and a half. If you can just leave us with some final words to help someone sure. who's going through it right now, please. Absolutely. And thank How to get you a hold of you that. as well, Beth. Uh, oh, yeah, I don't want to hold of you. Yeah, okay. Uh, I, you can get a hold of me through email. It's um, B-E-T-H-D-O-N, so my first name and half of my last name, zero one at hotmail.com, okay, and you can always call me also, and that was something that I was always afraid to give out, is all my information because of being targeted, but I'm not anymore. Um, My telephone number is 321-480-6218, and healing is huge to everybody. You deserve to be the the person that you were born to be, don't be afraid of counseling. Uh, you you get targeted even as an adult. I get still get targeted every day, um, mm-hmm. but just keep keep keeping on. You know, you just go through every day and make sure you talk to people. Do not keep it inside. Put the onus back on the people that molested you or hurt you, and do that by mm-hmm. writing a letter or confronting them. Do not confront them alone. Make sure you have somebody else there with you. Um, get that burden off of yourself and put it back on the person that hurt you. And there's all different ways to do that. Um, we're, we're all sisters in this, and we need to make sure that everybody stays alive. If you're ever thinking about, you know, hurting yourself, make sure you call me. Uh, send me an email. And, you know, you're worth a hell of a lot more than the person that hurt you. And you have a whole life out there to live. You don't ever take your life because of somebody else hurting you. They own it. You don't. I always say you you own it, okay? Don't let it own you. And mm-hmm. that's something that, you know, don't ever, ever let anybody hurt you and let them get away with it. The laws I'm involved with getting the laws passed for protection of children um, and we're trying to get the uh, statute of limitation abolished. It's a very difficult thing to do. We've been at it for years. But it's really mm-hmm. Well, thank you. Well, you're welcome. You're welcome. And I hope I helped. Anytime, mm-hmm. give me a call. Um, I'm always here. And, you know, I've been through a lot of tremendous stuff, and I have a lot of knowledge to yes. be able to help. Thank you. Well, God bless you, and thank you for joining us tonight, myself and Ms. Kim. We are grateful to have you, and you guys all have a good night. Thank you. We hope mm-hmm. to have you.
With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.